0: One of the most influential uh, authors nowadays the uh, last several decades, a man by the name of Dallas Willard, has written many, many powerful books uh, dealing with the whole issue of uh, spiritual formation. He's also a Christian philosopher who teaches at University of Santa, uh, California in Santa Barbara. and uh, Sorry, in, in, in uh, UCLA. And he uh, recently uh, sent... Uh, an article, wrote an article that came across my desk one of his colleagues over lunch asked him this question why do churches and ministries so often lose the essence of their founding vision and he wrote a 9 page article in response to that that I said happened to come across my desk this past week and having given an answer to the question he near the end of the essay talks about therefore what, what should we do and he mentions 3 things he said we must readily acknowledge the practical inevitability of the loss of vision in other words this kind of thing happens. vision does leak Uh, Secondly, we must identify, understand and adhere to the founding vision. Uh, We must find ways of keeping it before ourselves and our associates without becoming a bore. And then he says we must take steps to live out the central content of that vision. Now for those of you who may not be familiar with the denomination of which this church is a part, may not know what is the founding vision of the the denomination. Dr. A.B. Simpson who was a founder of this movement that eventually became a denomination was a Presbyterian pastor and his, what exercised his soul at that time was the millions of people living in other parts of the world that had not heard the gospel this was over 100 years ago and so taking the gospel to the nations was very much a part of his vision now it wasn't unique to him uh, as I said I just came back from a conference with over 500 international workers in fact there's 1600 of them over the world who work with pioneers uh, and then and other organizations like that as well it just happened to be the founding vision of our denomination. And Willard's article was very timely about the responsibility that we have to understand and adhere and keep this vision before our people. Uh, because this was driven home to me this past week when I was in Thailand. Uh, not only were the international workers themselves present, they were also the missions mobilizers of this organization from the Australia, New Zealand, the UK, the US, uh, and Canada these were people who didn't actually serve cross-culturally but they were responsible for keeping the burden and the vision alive back in the sending nations and the sending countries and I began to see how and they were so crucially involved in the whole process now in alliance churches this responsibility of mobilization falls primarily on the the pastors and the elders of a local church because in parachurch organizations like pioneers the person who goes out gets to speak in many many churches because they have to raise their own support So it is not unusual, in fact, it is customary for one couple to be supported by many, many churches. But those who go overseas with the alliance don't go from church to church to raise their support. They are supported as one of 1,200 people or so, or 400 in the case of Canada, from the global advance fund that we give, uh, that you all give to on a regular basis. And so the task of mobilization and keeping this vision from leaking inevitably devolves upon the the local church leadership, and in my case since I do a bulk of the preaching here. And it was this part of my calling that was reinforced during this past week in Thailand. I tried to take in as many reports as I can. And as I heard these reports from these young men and women, both single and married, working in some of the most difficult places in the world, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, various parts of China, Turkey, India, Bangladesh, I was just touched by their zeal and their commitment to this cause under very, very difficult circumstances. And so I just came back that much more committed to keeping this unfinished task before us uh, during these days. Because you see, what, what happens to me, what God does in my life is inseparably connected with what he wants to do in your life. Because integrity demands that I don't stand up here and do a job every Sunday morning integrity demands that I preach to you out of a real, personal, present encounter with God and hopefully in a way that will be relevant to your lives where you are and so for the next three weeks as, as we head up to our missions conference I want to do this help us identify, understand and adhere to the founding vision and find ways of keeping it before ourselves hopefully without becoming a bore in the process I want to do that by each week anchoring what I have to say In a a very familiar, but may not be familiar in terms of details, at least a familiar Old Testament character named Abraham. We're going to look at his story in the 18th chapter of the book of Genesis. But before I get into that, I want to remind us again to set the scene of how we need to approach this. uh, By taking you back to something we learned a year ago when we were working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. When we talked about the importance of the Old Testament in the life of a Christian and it was reinforced again by this guy who showed up last week at the conference and said he had neglected the Old Testament for 30 years and I remember sharing with you that the Bible is really a long story of the drama of redemption and it's probably wisest to see it as a divine script of a five act play act one is creation where God made the world and the and universe and human beings in his own image. And he gave them the mandate in dependence upon God, for the glory of God, to rule and subdue creation for the benefit of humanity. Act 2 was the fall, because we discovered that the first uh, human beings to whom God gave this mandate, refused to exercise, independ- exercise the independence from God, and as a result of that, sin and suffering and distortion came into this world. Act 3 was God's program for restore this broken world and it's the story of Israel. And God called one man and then one nation who were intended to uniquely image God to the rest of the world and through their influence in that world set the world right. But Israel instead of doing that became part of the problem. Through her own rebellion she became part of the problem. And so Act 3 ends with the failure of Israel which is the Old Testament. That sets the stage for Act 4 which is one particular Israelite named Jesus. And it's interesting that the opening verses of the New Testament begin by identifying Jesus as the son of Abraham. And so it is intimately connected with Act 3, which began with the call of Abraham. And this one Israelite did what Israel as a nation was supposed to do. He imaged God perfectly to the, to the world. He also demonstrated what human beings made in the image of God was supposed to live like how you rule and subdue creation for the benefit of humanity and for the glory of God, independence upon God as Jesus kept saying over and over again the son does nothing except what he sees the father do and then through his death and through his resurrection he finished and completed that work of restoring a broken world to himself act 5 scene 1 is made up of two parts, act 5 scene 1 is then the writing of the whole new testament and the description of the early work of the church as it took the message of Jesus to the nations of the world act 5 scene 2 happens to be 2008 AD which is where you and I live because you see, this, we are not just spectators in this drama we've been written into the play, every Christian has been written into this play in act 5 scene 2 and they are intended, as I, as I reminded you, to take their cues on how to act in act 5 scene 2 by everything that has gone on before not to do so would be as ridiculous as as becoming a part of a drama team in a play and saying I'll just show up in act 5 scene 2 you're likely to get all your cues wrong which means you will probably live in disobedience and out of sync with the divine script that was intended for you but if we see ourselves as a part of this drama of redemption then a clear grasp of acts 3 1 to 4 and act 5 scene 1 will much more likely increase the chances of us taking our cues properly right where we are right now. So with that background, let's begin in Act 3, which is the story of Abraham. It's been 24 years since Abraham received the call from God to leave Babylon, Mesopotamia, modern day Iraq, and travel to Canaan, which is modern day Israel, by and large. 24 years had passed and Sid still no child born to him and Sarah which God had promised and still didn't own any piece of land and God had promised children and God had promised a land and very recently before this where the story begins God had appeared to Abraham changed his name from Abram to Abraham which means father of many nations and renewed his covenant with him that he and his wife will have a child well Abraham is sitting under a tree on a hot summer's day every day is probably hot in that part of the world and all of a sudden he sees three people walk towards him he doesn't know it one of them is God and the other two are angels on their way to Sodom but they they look like human beings theophanies were common in the Old Testament and so Abraham jumps up in a characteristic response of Middle Eastern hospitality encourages them to come and have something to eat and if you read the story in Genesis 18 you will find that even though he didn't know the identity of these people there must, he must have sensed something unusual because there's a certain haste about what he does he rushes into the home and tells Sarah to get busy and bake bread then he rushes out to the herd and picks a flock and he gives it to the servant who rushes to make a meal and then he serves it before these people and then kind of like a nice a, a good waiter in an expensive restaurant hangs around in the background to help anytime he needs and then all of a sudden one of them says where is your wife Sarah you can imagine Abraham's heart skipping a beat how did this stranger know I was married and how did he know her name Well, the next words from him completely settled his identity because he said next about a year this time you and your wife will have a son of course those were the very words God had spoken to him in the 17th chapter of Genesis which happened very shortly before this and so now Abraham knew who at least the identity of one of his three visitors was none other than the sovereign lord himself whom he had got to know quite well over these 24 years that must have increased his sense of dread but Sarah who was in the tent behind him uh, didn't quite believe this promise and the scripture says that she kind of laughed to herself said at this age am I going to have a child and so God then says because he can, hear, he can hear silent laughter too especially that of unbelief and he says why did Sarah say Am I too old to have a child? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now Sarah's really embarrassed and tries to back out of it. She says, Well, I didn't, I didn't lie. I didn't laugh. He said, Yes, you did. <laughs> now, I want you to imagine, folks, these are not plaster saints. These are human beings like you and me. What do you think it would be like if, if somebody in the pastoral staff said to you, Look, there are three, three people who are strangers who need your hospitality. Can you please give them a meal all night? And you say, Yes. And you discover that one of them is God and he just called your wife a liar. <laughs> That's about what happened. And it must have been a very embarrassed completion to the dinner that time. <laughs> and then the dinner's over, and as the guests leave, again in very customary Near Eastern hospitality, Abraham the host walks out with them. Happens all the time in the East, happens here in the summertime. <laughs> right. But now we are reaching the climax of this story now God says something it's like like in one of those she's not exactly speaking to Abraham it's like one of those uh, Shakespearean soliloquies where he's speaking to himself but loud enough that Abraham can hear when the men got up to leave and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way then the Lord said shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he had promised him then the Lord said the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me see now we understand all this whole story Its purpose wasn't to teach us about the virtues of hospitality that was unnecessary in the ancient Near East rather this whole picture of God enjoying an intimate meal with Abraham and then walking in an after dinner conversation with him and in the course of which about to reveal to Abraham certain things and reaffirming Abraham's identity and why he was chosen and what was going to happen to him this is a picture to show us that at this stage of redemptive history, working through this one man in the early movements of Act 3 he is raising Abraham's from that of just an incidental servant to that of friend who knows his master's business not only that the purpose of this intimacy wasn't just the private enjoyment of having a nice fellowship with God and enjoying great times with him but the purpose of this intimacy was revelation of God's agenda for a nation other than his own nation because this was his destiny And the purpose of that revelation was so that Abraham could get personally involved in the accomplishing of God's agenda for the nations of the world because that was his destiny. We'll get to the house of it in the next two weeks. But now we just need to understand what was happening in this whole picture. And precisely because of his destiny, precisely because he was going to become a great nation and bless the nations of the world, God got busy and said I want to show him I'm not going to hide from my Abraham my friend, what I'm about to do it's a revelation of my agenda because he's going to become a co-worker together with me, that's the whole point of Genesis chapter 18 now with that in mind let's move ahead to act 4 Jesus the son of Abraham again God has appeared in the form of human beings, only this time not three but one and not just a theophany but an actual incarnation God has become a human being in the person of Jesus. And he has also eaten many intimate meals with his disciples. But the one that he particularly longed for, the gospel of Luke tells us, is the one that he was going to eat with them before his crucifixion. And so he has just finished that intimate meal with them, just like Abraham did with God did with Abraham. And then they are going for an after-dinner conversation and a walk, just like in the case of Abraham and God. And once again, just like Abraham spoke, God spoke to Abraham, Jesus speaks to his disciples and this is what he says, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit fruit that will last every single element in this story mirrors something in the Abraham story Abraham was chosen the disciples were chosen Abraham has lifted from the status of servant to friend He says, you are no longer servants, but you are friends. And what is the main difference between a servant and a friend? According to Jesus, a servant does not know his master's business. He just obeys the commandments of his master as individual, isolated, unrelated commandments that have no integrating purpose and are not connected in any way to the master's wishes. That's living in Act 5, Scene 2 in a totally arbitrary manner with no connection with what went on before in the drama. But friends, or sons and daughters which is probably an even better analogy they know their father's business they don't just obey individual commandments they know how all of the individual commandments link together to the grand agenda in the mind and the heart of the father living that way you are much more likely to respond in act 5 scene 2 and get it right Well, you might say, well, okay, that makes sense for Abraham. He was a patriarch. It makes sense for the disciples. These were the twelve apostles upon whom the New Testament story was going to ride for its success. I'm just an ordinary Christian. How does all this apply to me? Well, let's move to Act 5, Scene 1 now. And we will find that what was enacted in Act 3 with Abraham and was enacted with Jesus and the disciples in Act 4 is now reproduced in Act 5, Scene 1 with the Apostle Paul and his disciples ordinary Christians in the Philippian church and this is what he says he said but I press on to take a hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me brothers I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it but one thing I do forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead he moves on now what is this is a peculiar construction I have not taken a hold of that for which Christ has taken a hold of me what is Paul talking about it's how he views his conversion. Paul does not see his conversion as some decision that he made to follow Jesus as one among many options. Paul sees his conversion as Christ taking a hold of him for the advancement of Christ's purposes. This was the way it was with Abraham. If you look in the Old Testament, there was no indication that Abraham was seeking after God when he was in Mesopotamia. As far as we know, he was an idol worshiper when God appeared to him and called him. God got a hold of him. That's why Genesis 18 says, Have I not chosen him? and same thing with Jesus in John 15 when we read a few moments earlier he specifically he says you did not choose me but I chose you and ordained you to go out and bear fruit fruit that shall remain and now here is Paul saying Christ took a hold of me and now I am slowly learning to take a hold of that for which Christ took a hold of me now you might say well okay, so it doesn't help me I'm not Abraham I'm not disciples I'm not even the apostle Paul (laughs) look at the next verse All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Paul says every Christian needs to think about their conversion in this way. Your conversion and my conversion was not a decision that we made to follow Jesus. So long as we think of our conversion like that, and I've said this to you many times over these 28 odd years that I've been here. So long as we think of our conversion as some decision we made to follow Jesus, He will remain one among many other choices we've made in our lives. Our homes, our offices, our places of work, our retirement objectives, our hobbies. They all get their part and Jesus gets His part. We will live in Act 5, Scene 2, and we will continually miss the cues all the time. And we're almost certain to get it wrong. But if we see our conversion as Christ taking a hold of us for His purposes, and our life is progressively learning to take a hold of that for which Christ has taken a hold of us, then all these other things that are important, our spouses, our homes, our projects, our money, our retirement, and all of these things, everything gets subsumed under this big umbrella and then we are far more likely to get it right in Act 5, Scene 2 so if I can sum up what we've learned from this first look at Abraham's life is what I would call by the single I'll give you one word for each of these three messages so you can remember them at the end if we understand Act 1 to Act 5, Scene 1 our lives in Act 5, Scene 2 will be integrated under our Abrahamic destiny to bless the nations of the world our founder A.B. Simpson's vision is worthwhile keeping not because he was our founder but because he got it right let me say that again our founders the founding vision of this church of this denomination is worthwhile keeping not because he was our founder or he was special he just got it right what I want to do for the rest of this message is to just give you four sets contrasting examples from various walks of life today as to what it's like to get our cues wrong to live arbitrarily in act 5 scene 2 and what it is like to get our cues right and live an integrated life and I'm going to focus on us as senders not, Trevor and Patty are obviously living in Act 5, Scene 2 in the light of the previous four acts they are out there among the nations like Abraham and his tent and his altar they've moved they've moved from Darfur to Aceh uh, uh, to Afghanistan Now, one of them an easy place but what about us? what does it mean for us who are not the goers which is the bulk of us here I'm going to give you a contrasting set of examples, okay? First of all, let me just take the life of a, a secular business person, any kind of worker here. I remember, I'm thinking of an individual that I knew. It was a long, long time ago. So most of you wouldn't know who the person was. He was a very successful businessman. And every February, he would go play golf in Florida. Nothing wrong in playing golf in Florida. If you like fl- golf, everybody likes Florida, but everybody doesn't like golf. If you like golf, play by all means the interesting thing was he always chose the week when his church which was a missions minded church had their an annual missions conference that man got his cues dead wrong if he was living in act 5 scene 2 in the light of the first 4 acts he would never have made choices like that in contrast to that I want to tell you about a bass player unlike most of our bass players who are young this man is an older man he was part of the worship team in Thailand there was about 9 or 10, it was a multicultural worship team and uh, this a kind of a quiet man older person playing in the background, you know, never, didn't notice him much but one morning I found myself having breakfast with him, so we got, to, and I found out he was the pharmaceutical engineer, so I said, what are you doing here? he said, oh, I've got all kinds of work I've got to do when I go back home he said, but my pastor found out that I played bass and he said to me, the worship team in Thailand needs a bass player, are you willing to go? So rather than take a holiday to disappear to Florida when the church was having a missions conference, he took his vacation, paid his own way, travelled all the way to Thailand, so five hundred and fifty battle weary soldiers could have a refreshing time of worship week after week after week. That's the man who got his cues right. Let me move to a second area. Let me talk about parents, which means which is most of us parents and grandparents. About ten years ago I was speaking at a camp of the woods in Lake Speculator in New York and one morning I was walking back to the home with the uh, director of the camp and I think I just finished speaking about missions or whatever, I can't remember anyway the topic came up and he said oh, last week at family camp we had a," and he mentioned the uh, director of a parachurch organization and he said he was speaking about missions and he said to this director in a private conversation he said one of the biggest obstacles we are finding right now for workers to go overseas are parents who do not want to release their children because they don't want to have their grandchildren so far away now uh, please I am not minimizing this I remember a time when I was in Russia speaking to our missionaries there Rebecca was only 18 months old at that time she our first and only granddaughter and of course I was working with I was only there for a week and all of a sudden one morning as I was praying and getting ready the thought came to my mind what if I was one of them and couldn't go back and not see her for another 5 years I started crying this is not a light thing I don't mean to minimize it but, we, but if we're taking our cues right you cannot let that stop us If we don't get our cues right from the first four acts, we will stop our children and we will complain and we will resist as much as we can. But however it may hurt, however great the loss may be, if we are parents and grandparents who are getting our cues right and are living in Act 5, Scene 2, in the life of the first four acts, we will not only not stand in the way, we will do everything we can to speed them on the way. We as parents and grandparents need to learn how to live an integrated life, even though we may not be called in any kind of cross-cultural work. What if our sons and our daughters and our grandchildren are called? How are we going to keep the vision aflame in their hearts, if if it is not flaming within our own hearts? We need to go back to these verses in um, Genesis 18, the Abraham story. Abraham. notice how on either side is a huge global agenda Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him at the other end of the spectrum the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised look what happens in between for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just such massive agendas that are global are sandwiched around such a small local agenda of raising your sons and your daughters, parents who take their cues from Act Three and Act Four will live this way in Act Five, Scene Two. Let me give you a third example, which has to do with this whole area called retirement. Many years ago, I was speaking in a Baptist church out in Nanaimo, and uh, happened to also talk to an Alliance pastor there, and. I don't know how I got there, but I got this little sheet that their 50, the equivalent of their 55 plus or uh, green, uh, Evergreens ministry had. And there was a little pamphlet on retirement, and this is what it said Three words have characterized our concept of retirement since the turn of the century detachment, relaxation, and leisure. Detachment this depicts the release from responsibilities and obligations of career and work. Relaxation describes a manner and mode of living. Leisure is activity free from toil and strain that fills the time and occupies the attention and then this devastating sentence it seems that the main objective of retirement is to change the retiree from a producer to a consumer in every aspect of life those who have that model of retirement are living in act 5 scene 2 with no clues at all from what went on before in contrast let me tell you another story I eat breakfast fairly early in the mornings for a variety of reasons I need to and I kept running across this elderly man he was found out later on he was 68 years old um, named Al and so we got to know each other better. now Al was in charge of security now I've never been in a conference where they had a special detachment just for security but there were 350 children we were in Thailand and so they needed a very specific security people he didn't get in on any of the meetings he was a cop he was a cop in Baltimore that's what he was before and then God took him overseas and now he's retired so I said what are you doing here well he said I do this on a regular basis and after he finished there he was going to go to some other place to be a security person most nights he didn't get to sleep through the whole night didn't get to one of the meetings in one particular case I actually found a child wandering by herself too then I said what are you going to do after this he said oh I'm going up north not here up north back in Thailand I said how come he said on my previous visit here uh, a couple of visits before he said "I I got to know one of the workers here a lady and he said, as I kept talking to her, I discovered that she does this very, very hard work for very little money to support her daughter and family members up in this village. And I don't know the details of how it happened, but basically he went up with, her to, uh, with whoever to the village and has set up a whole chicken farming system for this community. So they could just significantly in, uh, amplify their little cottage industry there, you know. But isn't that amazing? Now there's an example of a man with the exact opposite view on retirement. To make a difference among the nations of the world. That's what an ex-cop is doing these days. He got his cues right. From Act 5, Scene 1 and Acts 2, 3 and 4. One last area. We've talked about business people and workers. We've talked about parents and grandparents. We've talked about when we get to the retirement stage of our lives. Let me move from the individual to a corporate one. To a church. What does a church look like? where they're not getting their cues properly when they are and you know what I'm going to use our church for both examples (laughs) that's just the way we are we're all human beings and so we do things wrong and we do things right Uh, let me start with the thing wrong and please don't shoot the messenger okay (laughs) I'm just telling you the story like it is (laughs) many many years ago 15-20 years ago I think we used to have strawberry socials in this church for those of you who don't know it most of you don't (laughs) Around June, there are plenty of strawberries around. And so, uh, one of the uh, missionaries would often speak on a Tuesday night. And before that, we'd all eat strawberries and get in. Typically, we'd get about 180 to 200 people. One year, because of a cold snap fairly early, we lost all the strawberries. But we didn't lose the missionary. We only had 40 people show up. I don't know about you, but sheer logic forces me to consider the possibility that for about 150 people, strawberries were far more important than what Jesus does among the nations through their own workers that's why I said don't shoot the message listen to the message when a church behaves that way they get their cues all wrong praise God this church gets his cues right most of the time that's why we devote an entire month every year to build a vision for global missions that's why you clear the pulpit for a Stephen Ford like you did last week that's why we never lose an opportunity to have people like Trevor and Patty and all of our other workers when they come back they get to speak and share and it's because we get our cues right that we have a standing missions committee in this church under the leadership of people like Peter Cho and others who meet regularly throughout the whole year and for you these messages today and the next two weeks they're not coming because you've lost your vision they're coming to keep that vision alive so we never even begin to lose it or dilute it so more and more of us can move from that uh, arbitrary way of responding in act 5 scene 2 to getting into the drama and letting that script shape our lives whatever they mean, so that many many more Trevors and Patties can keep going to these difficult places and they will feel supported and strengthened by us as they are in these days And so uh, I'll just encourage you to, to, uh, with his invitation, come on out tomorrow night to listen to Trevor speak, and you will be fed too. Eh? Don't have to worry about the food eh, (laughs) tomorrow night. (laughs) And then, as missions conference is coming up in three weeks, the details are there in your bulletin. Don't go away anywhere. Plan to attend. And uh, there's a missions dessert night, so you'll get your strawberries too. You know, this time you won't have to miss that. And then uh, let me just end with a few words, again from the same text that I've been using today. There may be some of you still, I don't know, few, many, I have no idea at all. Still quite not there yet. Yeah. And if you're honest, you have to say, you know what, I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure. I still live my life in Act 5, seem 2, arbitrarily. Perhaps I'm more a servant than a friend. I don't know here's what Paul says he said this to the Philippians he said yes all of us who are mature should take such a view of things this is the direction you need to be going but, but if on some point you think differently that's ok God will make it clear to you I, I just love Paul's humility he's not trying to browbeat anybody into doing anything he said this is, how you, this is how I think this is how you should think and if you don't think that way it's ok God will show you <laughs> and so just be confident you know? take it to God you don't, you don't need to argue with me or with that. just take it to God and say ok Lord if integration is what I need to do in any one of these areas if any of these examples have even made you begin to think a bit just take it to God say Lord you show me and to help you help you in that I've actually in the inside front panel of the bulletin there's a prayer called God's cause and uh, I was just gripped by that prayer and so it's so appropriate and so I would like us and I'll have it on the overhead as well for some of you did not have bulletins last night so somebody reminded me to suggest that they put it on the overhead I'd like us to pray that prayer right now and in that prayer you will come across a couple of phrases and you will say I can't honestly say that yet and Sunday you told us a few weeks ago that worship needs to be authentic yes, it's okay I often find when I come across lines and songs that are so far above my present experience, I sing them anyway but in my heart I put them through a filter I'm not saying to God I'm there yet I turn them into prayers and say God make me get there and so, if you come across a few statements in here that you say, so that's way beyond my present level of experience, that's okay. God will show you. Just turn it into a prayer, okay? Let's pray this one together. Sovereign God, your cause, not my own, engages my heart. And I appeal to you with greatest freedom to set up your kingdom in every place where Satan reigns. Glorify yourself, and I shall rejoice. For to bring honor to your name is my sole desire. I adore you that you are God, and long that others should know it, feel it, and rejoice in it. Oh, that all people might love and praise you, that you might have all glory from the intelligent world. Let sinners be brought to you for your dear name's sake. To the eye of reason, everything concerning the conversion of others is as dark as midnight. But you can accomplish great things. The cause is yours and it is to your glory that people should be saved. Lord, use me as you will. Do with me what you will. But oh, promote your cause. Let your kingdom come. Let your blessed interest be advanced in this world. Oh, do bring in great numbers to Jesus. Let me see that glorious day and give me to grasp for multitudes of souls. Let me be willing to die to that end. And while I live, let me labor for you to the utmost of my strength, spending time profitably in this work, both in health and in weakness. It is your cause and kingdom I long for, not my own, who answer my request. Amen. My blessing for you is this. (laughs) Someday as you are unsuspectingly sitting round around a dinner table may the sovereign Lord show up may he speak one word into your life and you will never ever doubt again what the so that is for your life, go in Jesus name